Hello everyone. Welcome to our midweek Bible study. Go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter 2, 5 through 18, as we continue our study on Jesus as greater and superior to all. This study is going to focus on Jesus as greater and superior to any human. You know, almost on a yearly basis, you have these polls taken about the most important or influential people of the year. One magazine even has the person of the year. Historians debate who are the greatest and most impactful people who've ever lived. In fact, throughout history, you have people called Sargon the Great, or Alex the Great, or Napoleon the Great, or Catherine the Great, or Peter the Great, or Frederick the Great, and so on. Even certain people become so massive and so great in the eyes of people that they become deified. And sometimes people say they rule also by divine right. The fact is, the greatest and superior human who ever lived is Jesus, God who became man. Tell me where you find a greater story than that. It's the greatest story ever told. Nothing can top it. And there's no human that can even be on the same list with Jesus as the great. Hebrews 2, 5 through 18, our main text for this lesson, tells us why. I'm going to read the full text. It's a bit long, but I want you to get the flow of the reasons why Jesus is the greatest and superior human of all. Our verses are going to center around three points. The crown man of glory, honor, and dominion. The fallen man who loses the crown of glory, honor, and dominion. The God-man who atones and regains the crown of glory, honor, and dominion for humans. Here's the verses. It is not to angels that he subjected the world to come, about which we are speaking. But there is a place where someone has testified, what is mankind that you're mindful of them? Son of man that you care for them. You made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. In putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet, at present, we do not see everything subject to them. But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly, I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here am I and the children God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it's not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. And it's for this reason 
He had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. Do you see those three points in the reading? The crowned man of glory, honor, dominion, authority. The fallen man who loses the crown of glory, honor, and authority. And the God-man who atones and regains the crown of glory, honor, and dominion for humans. Now go back to verse 5. It is not to angels that he subjected the world to come about which we're speaking. Angels are not the eternal rulers of the world. However, the God of this present age, who currently rules along with his demonic force, is Satan. So how did he get this rulership? Answer, from Adam, the first created man, whom God had crowned with glory, honor, and authority over everything on earth. We'll have more on that in just a moment. We need to understand that the original position of man in creation was not a little lower than the angels. He was crowned with glory, honor, and authority. He was the crown man. What does that mean? Look in verse 6. It means he had a pure fellowship with God. He had fellowship with God. What is humankind that you're mindful of them? A son of man that you cared for him. Older translations say that you visited with him. God desires fellowship with you. He wants you to be a part of his family. And throughout the history covered in the Bible, God makes visits to humans to show that he cares for the crowning achievement of all of his creation. He visited on a regular occasion with Adam and Eve. He made a visit with Abraham and Jacob, Moses and Job and Elijah, just to name a few times this happened. What is man that God would be so mindful of us? Now that quote comes from Psalm 8 that David wrote as he was looking up in the clear night sky and saw the stars, the moon, and some planets. Compared to the stars and planets, man seems so small and insignificant. Compared to the age of the stars and the planets and how short of time we live on this planet, what is man in comparison? I'll tell you what man is. Humans are the crowning achievement of all creation. It is man that God wants to have fellowship with. It's not an accident that the philosophy of this world wants to diminish this high position of humans. Because remember, the philosophy of this world is controlled by that fallen angel, Satan. I'm not sure why studies are called humanities when most teach that humans are nothing more than just highly evolved animals. Not to God. He crowns humans with glory and honor and authority and wants to be in fellowship with us. We are in fellowship with God. To be crowned humans means that we are made by God. You made them, it says in verse 7. You are God made, not an animal, not an accident, but made by God. You're a miracle. Genesis 1 verse 26, God said, let us make man in our image and our likeness so that he will rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground so god created mankind in his own image in the image of god he created them male and female he created them god crowned man with fellowship 
and being made in his image, God crowned this man with glory and honor and authority. Verse 7. You crowned him with glory and honor and put everything under his feet. Now when you go to Psalm 8, of which this verse is a quotation from, and you look in verses 6 through 8, you see the explanation for what is meant here. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and animals of the world, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim, the paths of the sea. And that is a reference back to Genesis 1, 28, where it says, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. There's the authority and dominion given to the crowned man over everything in the earth. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. The crowned man is the highest achievement of creation. It's the highest position of anything created. He's in fellowship with God, made in God's image, given glory, honor, and authority over everything in the earth. And Hebrews 2, in the middle of verse 8, sums it up. In putting everything under them, God let nothing, left nothing that is subject to them. Man is the crown man of creation. Then something happened. Go back to Hebrews 2, 8, the same verse, but now look at the last part of it. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them. What happened? The crowned man with glory, honor, and authority is now the fallen man who has lost the crown, his glory, honor, and authority. He's now a little lower than the angels. How did this happen? He was deceived and duped by the fallen angel, Satan. That story is found in Genesis 3. The serpent was crafty. Paul says that Satan was beguiling and scheming. And Adam and Eve fall into sin by believing the lives of Satan. They believed the lies of Satan that God was holding them back, that God lied when he said that they would not die if they ate the forbidden fruits, and that their eyes would be open to what was really truth that they trusted Satan. Adam and Eve believed Satan and fell into sin, and in the process they immediately learned that Satan was a liar and that God had spoken the truth. But because of their sin, they lost the crown of glory and honor and the authority to rule the earth that was stolen by Satan in the process. Satan, at this point, now has tremendous power and authority over the things of the earth, including man, God's crowning achievement. Adam and Eve are cast from the garden by God, out of the daily fellowship with God, and man remains a fallen man without a crown of glory, honor, and authority up to a certain period of time, which we'll discuss in just a moment. Now, it's important that we make a distinction between power and authority. The, the best way I know to explain the difference is this. In Britain, Parliament has the authority to pass laws and to rule the country. The Queen, Queen Elizabeth, is a figurehead with a tremendous amount of power and influence, but has no authority to pass laws and to run the country. At one time in England, the monarchy had both the authority and the power. But the monarchy lost the authority to Parliament over a period of time. Now what I'm saying is this. When Jesus comes to earth as a man, the devil still has the power and the authority over the earth. We're told in the Old Testament that the angel was 
of Satan was brilliant and powerful. And now he adds to that the authority that man had been given to, that God had given to man. Now he has both. He was already powerful when he was cast down to this earth by God. But now having stolen the authority from the crown man in the garden, he combines this with that authority. When Jesus arrives and begins his ministry, immediately after his baptism, he's led into the wilderness for 40 days where he's tested and tempted. And at the end of those 40 days, Matthew 4 records, Satan appears to him with a series of three temptations. The last temptation of the three is about ruling the world. Notice what the verse says in verse 8. The devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. He said, all this I will give to you if you'll just bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, the devil, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Now what you know, I want you to notice what Jesus did not say. He did not say, devil, you cannot give me these kingdoms of the world because you don't have the authority to do so. The reason is that the devil at this point does have the authority over the earth and the kingdoms of the world when Jesus arrives. Where did he get that authority? From the crowned man Adam, who became the fallen man because of sin. Fallen man has lost his fellowship. Fallen man has lost his crown of glory, honor, and authority. The fallen man, verse 10, has lost his salvation. And here it says, In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. You see, they were no longer in a saved condition. And now a price had to be paid, and this pioneer of their salvation would pay that price so that they could be saved perfectly. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 2 verse 1, You are dead in your trespasses and sins. You follow the ways of this world, and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, that's the devil, the spirit, that's the devil, who's now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us by nature are deserving of wrath. Fallen man loses his salvation. Fallen man becomes a slave to the fear of death. Verse 14. Why does he become a slave to the fear of death? Because he's no longer saved. He's under condemnation. And he's fearful of the judgment. He's fearful of that deserving wrath. Since the children have flesh and blood, verse 14, they need to be freed from all their lives when they were held in slavery by their fear of death. But what fallen man needs more than anything, now he needs atonement. Verse 17, so he might make atonement for the sins of his people. So let's summarize. Crown man had glory, honor, and authority. The fallen man, sin, lost the glory, honor, and authority. The crown man had fellowship with God. The fallen man, because of sin, is separated from God. The, the crowned man was saved by God. The fallen man is dead in their trespasses and sins, needing atonement. The crowned man was in the highest position of creation. The fallen man is now in subjection to the authority and the rulership of the fallen angel, the devil, and his angels on earth. He is now a little lower, not just lower than the angels of God, but listen, he is lower, worse. 
He's lower than Satan in his angelic force because Satan is the one who now has the, the power and the authority over humans. Now, the attention, it turns away from the fallen man to the God-man who makes atonement so the fallen man, that's us, can be crowned with glory, honor, and authority again. Let's look at the God-man. He's both fully human and fully divine. He's not 50-50. He's 100-100%. So go back to Hebrews chapter 1 for just a moment where we studied the last two weeks. And let's look so far at what we've learned about Jesus being the greatest and superior to all, including all humans. What have we found out? He is fully God. His name is superior to the angels. He is worshiped and served by the angels. He has an eternal throne. He's the creator and maker of everything, including angels. He's the ruler over everything. He's the heir of all things that he creates, and he sits at the right hand of God. That's why in Hebrews 2, verse 5, it says that this world is subject to him and not to angels. Fallen man needs redemption. That authority recaptured back from the devil. And this can only happen by the perfect sacrifice of a man. And this is the only way humanity can be saved. Go back to Philippians 2, 6 and following. Look in Philippians 2, 6 and following. And notice what it took for Jesus to be the God-man. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he, and there it's talking about Jesus, made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance as a man. Now look what's involved. He humbled himself. He became obedient to the cross to death, even death on a cross. Jesus, who knew no sin, has to, in humiliation, lower himself before the angels, Satan and his force, and take on the sins of the world, our sins, in order to save us and restore humanity back to its right position in creation. When Christ is raised from the dead, it's victorious. He defeats Satan. Now notice prior to the ascension of Christ, the words that Jesus tells the apostles in Matthew 28, verse 18. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He didn't have the authority on earth when he arrived on earth. Remember, Satan did. But now he does. As the God-man, he defeated Satan on the cross and got the authority belonging to man back. Recaptures it. Humanity through Jesus is crowned once again with glory and honor and authority. And that Greek word for authority is not used for the devil after the resurrection and ascension of Christ. Now, I will tell you, in some modern translations of the Bible, it doesn't make a distinction between power and authority. So sometimes in your modern translation, you'll still see the word authority after the resurrection used for the devil. But in the original, in the Greek, after the resurrection... The term authority, very specific term, is never used of the devil again. And the reason for it is simple. Jesus has the authority back. All authority is now belongs to him in heaven and on earth. The devil is still the God of this age. He's still a mighty force, still has the same power he's always had, but he cannot come up against uh, God 
He cannot come. We cannot. I'm sorry. Let me say it again. He's a mighty force that we cannot come up against unless God is on our side. But he's a defeated force. His time of final judgment is coming. When Jesus goes back to heaven, now listen closely. He remains the God-man forever. He does not revert back to just being God, but is still man in heaven sitting at the right hand of God. Now, how do we know that? Acts chapter 1, verse 2, at the ascension of Jesus. It says that Jesus ascends into heaven as a man. Then look in verse, 12, uh, verse 11. The angel speaks to the apostles as they watch the ascension of Christ. And he says to them, why do you stand looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Same way. Jesus remains the God-man forever. 1 Timothy 2 verse 5. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. No wonder Paul concludes in Philippians 2 with these words in verse 9. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Jesus is greater and superior to any human because he's the one who regained the crown of glory, honor, and authority for humanity. That's why Hebrews 2 verse 10, look at it, says he's the pioneer of our salvation. We know there's salvation for us because the perfect man, the God-man, ascended to be at the right hand of God and he makes intercession for us. Jesus, as the God-man, gets back the crown of glory, honor, and dominion. He restores our fellowship with God. Look in verse 11 through 13. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are the same family. Jesus calls them brothers and sisters. And he says, here I am and the children that God has given me. Jesus frees us from the slavery of the fear of death. Look in verse 14 through 15. Back in verse 9 first, though. He's crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. So by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Now, verse 14 through 15. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Jesus does all that for us. See how he takes us fallen in sin and gives us that crown of glory and honor and righteousness and dominion. He becomes our merciful and faithful priest, verse 17 through 18. He's that merciful, caring, faithful priest. You know, you remember back in verse 6, it says that God is mindful of us and he cares for us. Here's how he does it, folks. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way. Did you catch that? in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people, because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He's able to help those who are being tempted. Now notice that. What does he do for us? He's our sacrifice for our atonement. He gives us the ability to resist temptation. 
And you go to Hebrews 5.15, it describes this further. Since we have a great high priest who's ascended into heaven, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize or sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who's been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus is the greatest and superior human to ever live. He alone did what we could never do for ourselves. He alone could only do what was necessary. He was the perfect man who was sacrificed for our sins. The God-man saved fallen man so that the highest achievement of creation might be crowned once again with glory, honor, and authority. What a gift. What a precious gift of salvation, freely given to us by God through the sacrifice, the high payment of what it cost Jesus to leave earth and become a man. Well, I hope this lesson has helped to strengthen your faith in who your Savior Jesus is. I believe it's increased your hope in the promises God makes to you through Jesus Christ as well. May I suggest that you do what I'm about to do now at the close of this lesson? And that is to get before God in prayer and praise Him and thank Him for being so good and gracious to us through our Lord Jesus Christ, the greatest and superior human of all.